Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, fantastic friends. This is a special year-end episode of the Fancast at Four podcast, the number one Fantastic Four fancasting podcast on the internet. Presumably. Even per chance. I'm Dan Bettenhausen. And I am Jack Mayer. We are your hosts as we venture into the what-ifs of Marvel's first family, will be appearing in Phase 6 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With Matt Shackman set to direct the MCU's Fantastic Four film, we still can explore what it would be like if a different director was behind the camera and who might they cast. This week, our featured filmmaker is an American director, producer, and screenwriter who got his start writing screenplays for teen comedies in the 1980s. However, he achieved widespread recognition directing the first two films in a beloved holiday franchise and then directed the first two film adaptations of one of the most popular book franchises ever. While he has never been nominated for any directing accolades at the Academy Awards, he was nominated once as a producer and has been nominated for multiple BAFTA and Saturn Awards. He should also not be confused with a notorious and genocidal explorer and second European discoverer of North America, the first actually being the Norseman Leif Erikson Hinga Dinga Durgan. Hinga Dinga Durgan indeed, Jack. This week, we are featuring director Chris Columbus. Jack. Anything else come to mind for you when you think of Chris Columbus? Really, it's those first two Harry Potter movies. So full context, I'm a (laughs) Harry Potter kid through and through. It is in my veins. Uh, I've read those books time and time again. I've seen those movies over and over again. I just rewatched Prisoner of Azkaban. Best book and movie. Best one. My personal favorite is still Goblet of Fire, though. Fair, fair. In terms of in terms of movies, not in terms of books. No, like what the the first book came out when I was in fifth grade, and the like, first book came out before <laughs> I was born. Yeah, I'm aware. Thank you. It's it's amazing just the longevity, despite the less than stellar quality, I'd say, of the Fantastic Beasts series. I think really everything up to this point, with some some things a little higher and lower, has just been top notch, especially when it comes to the movies. Absolutely. And I think that you look at those first two movies that Chris Columbus directed. Imagine the task that you have to do with those movies. Seems impossible. And it's impressive the way he's able to pull it off. And especially the way he's able to world build and make that world building entertaining to children. It is beyond amazing. Again, I rewatched these movies uh couple months ago uh just because i was in the mood for it and when i rewatch especially sorcerer's stone the thing that i noticed that blew me away was how well paced it is it is a two and a half hour movie uh it's only five minutes shorter than tar and i did not feel the runtime once well, before we dive too heavy into Sorcerer's Stone, hint, hint, let's, uh, let's just get into our next segment for Fantastic Films, where here we're going to talk about four of Christopher Columbus's films that he's directed, uh, why we like them, what's so great about them. And, and one thing I would also yeah. just like to note real quick, uh, in doing some research for this episode, uh, Dan, do you know what franchise Chris Columbus was a producer slash executive producer on? What franchise, Jack? The Fantastic Four. No way. Yes. He was a producer on the 2005 Fantastic Four film and I believe an executive producer on Rise of the Silver Surfer. Hey, we'll pretend that I knew that going in. And now we are going to fully realize his vision. But first, 
Let's dive into four fantastic films. So we're going to start it off with his 1990 holiday classic, one that I have not watched yet this year, but will definitely watch Home Alone. Yeah, this movie, like you said it, it's, it's a classic. It is a holiday staple. It is something that has to be watched, at least in my family, was watched in my family. Both both the first one and the second one are great. We're going to focus mostly on the first one here, but just the the premise where you have Macaulay Culkin's Kevin McAllister stuck at home, getting to do what he wants. Oh, like some some kids' dreams, like just getting to run the household, go to the grocery store, get takeout all the time, watch R-rated movies, and then have to defend his house from these two robbers in uh, David Stern and Joe Pesci's characters. The Wet Bandits. Wet Bandits, yes. Uh, An excellent name, I must say. For sure, for sure. Absolutely hilarious. And has there ever been a breakout child megastar like macaulay culkin for better or worse no i mean we've seen what's happened to macaulay culkin post childhood fame and i'm sure he's in a better spot now but it sounds like when he was in this like he was a megastar and then once yeah it, but it paid a toll on him and which, is, sure. which is a shame uh but no he was the preeminent child star at the time and Absolutely. it's really because of Home Alone and how great he was in this movie and in, especially in the next one as well. Phenomenal in this movie. He plays every beat perfectly. It is a it is like a testament to how well he's holding his own against Joe Pesci. The same year he won an Oscar and he's and Macaulay Culkin's holding his own. Oh, for sure. Like he plays an adolescent kid perfectly like he's a little shit weasel at times he can be heartfelt and empathetic he can Mm -hmm. be funny like it's it's all of that and at the heart of it he's still this child who's left home alone i mean yeah if it weren't Catherine o'hara i'd probably need to send their parents to like child protective services but just and i mean talk about her and her whole adventure to get home too is incredible mm-hmm. with it's john great Candy story. And, the, and the the polka kings there no uh, everyone is pl- firing on all cylinders in this movie he's got that great moment with the guy outside his house who he thinks is like gonna kill him right but then like the sweetest most genuine moment in the church yeah hugs at the heartstrings and then also is horrifyingly violent oh my gosh the booby traps that are set up in this film are sadistic i mean it's good hey wholesome entertainment for the holidays but you know when you look at them it takes a sick mind to come up with these booby traps (laughs) i'd be worried about my child if they defended the house that way (laughs) but all set around christmas time being home alone and that too you're home not just by yourself but over the holidays and having to Mm -hmm. tend to the house be its defender be while still being a child like you said just to reiterate him holding his own not only as a character but as an actor against david stern and joe pesci is top notch let's let's move ahead a couple years to uh if we were doing kind of the pick'em style that we had when we've have guests on this would be my pick and that's 1993's uh, Robin William led Mrs. Doubtfire. This movie is a top 10 comedy for me. I love this movie so much. 
Uh, again, a lot of 90s on comedies have a lot of problematic behavior from their lead characters, but I think that's just indicative of the time and the filmmaking, so I take it for what it is. This movie, joke after joke, land with me. Uh, this was a movie that was not a part of my childhood the way that some of these other movies or projects were. It was never something that was super influential to me, but it's something that I really like and that I really respect. I think it's a very funny movie. I think it's a very good movie. Uh, and I think that it handles the whole situation a lot better than people give it credit for. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, obviously, now when we're in a culture that is much more accepting of uh, transgender people, some might view this movie as a bit dated. I know the Broadway production has gotten a lot of flack for its portrayal of uh, transgender roles. But I feel like this movie does it quite well. And with, like, grace and respect. Yeah, and you have that that plot line when he's becoming Mrs. Doubtfire, where he has to go to his gay brother to become her. And I mm -hmm. don't feel like, you know, where you're getting a lot of jokes around that time that are mean-spirited about the LGBTQ community. I never got that there was any sort of jokes at the expense at the of expense of gay people harvey harvey yes. fierstein's character i and again you have robin williams who despite his transcendent comedic chops is also a damn good dramatic actor such a good dramatic actor so good hits those beats perfectly and so does pierce brosnan and i feel <laughs> like does not get enough credit for some of the beats that he plays in this movie like the beat where he says like no those are my kids right so nice. good and Sally Field, like, I think when you're a kid, you're like, oh, like Sally Field, the mom is so mean. And then you grow up a little bit. It's like, yeah, she's got a point, you know, like it is a, for lack of a better, a great story about divorce at, come the end of it. Like when yeah. you're looking at the bare bones, these were two people who weren't meant to be together, but they learned to live amicably for the sake of their, their friendship and their kids. And despite all the hijinks in between, like this is a really healthy story. Come, again, come the end of it about two adults learning what's best for them. I, th what I think what I love best about this movie is there are a lot of very overt physical comedy jokes here, but there's just a lot of asides that get me rolling. Like there's yeah. a scene at the beginning where uh, Robin Williams is trying to like, get a job get and he's going through unemployment i believe so he's working with this caseworker and he's like going through all these different impressions like oh i do a great impression of a hot dog and he just kind of stiffens up and then when he goes to the pool with the family as mrs doubtfire he just chucks a lime at pierce brosnan's character he's like oh it was a run by fruiting like just those little aside jokes are what gets me as well outside of like so good him him plastering a cream pot like a cake in his face to hide the fact that he's not mrs doubtfire at the time and that's the work of a great comedy it's broad moments hit but it's subtle moments are what keep coming back and i think this is just another moment showing the prowess especially around this time of chris columbus like you get a lot of comedies that are that are strictly comedy whereas him you are getting this blend of both family family drama and comedy that are interwoven so beautifully Mm -hmm, for sure and we see that when we jump ahead a couple of years to 2001's harry potter and the sorcerer's stone or the philosopher's stone depending on where you are right we know we have 
some British listeners. <laughs> Jack, feel free to feel free to jump in. And start start on this one. Yeah, I'd love this movie so 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 much. I could quote most of this movie probably. I talked about child performances before, and even though you know Macaulay Culkin became megastar Macaulay Culkin, Daniel Radcliffe became such a force of a star like to the point where he's just rolling in so much money that he can decide yeah i'm gonna play weird al yankovic he literally can do whatever the hell he wants and And he he, does and he does and he chooses really interesting projects that work for him but it's funny i've read a lot about the production of this movie and the talk about how they could not find their harry potter and then one night the producer and the screenwriter were at the theater and met this casting agent who had a son, Daniel Radcliffe. And they were like, this kid's got really haunted eyes. He'd be perfect for this role. And he was, and it is really interesting seeing again, this is a franchise that spanned 10 years, eight movies, everything that had to be planted was planted for this. You have, Alan, the casting of Alan Rickman. You have the casting of Maggie Smith. You have obviously Rupert Grimmett and Emma Watson, who are Ron and Hermione, who are both excellent. Uh, the late Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. All of these people who carry on throughout the entire franchise. It was all started here in this moment, and it gives you. It gives me such an appreciation for what Columbus did, creating this vibrant fun but wholesome world it's got an excellent john williams score as well yes totally hedwig's theme brilliant uh the quidditch theme is great but i love that leaving hogwarts theme the da 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 fills me with like your joy every time yeah. I hear it. I adore these two, the two movies that he made because he also made Chamber of Secrets. I right. think Chamber of Secrets is great, wildly underrated. Kenneth Branagh, best performance in the franchise. But the first Harry Potter movie will, I think, never not be my third favorite. Yeah. So besides maybe Deathly Hollows Part One, I'm both the book and the movie are low on my list. Um, but no, I, I agree with you about Kenneth Branagh. He is a he is great. He is great. Uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. Um, Order of uh, Merlin, third class. <laughs> Winner of which weekly's most charming smile award five times in a row. But he doesn't like to talk about that. Right, right. But well, we can. We can. <laughs> but with with this first one, it is very reminiscent of the first book in that it is an injection of magic. The, the books get darker and more adult as they go on because they, they grow up with, with the kids and the, the actors also grow up with the films and it, it becomes more appropriate to get darker as you go. But this first one couldn't be that. It would, it would make no sense to be that. And this film was magic. Yeah. There's no other way to say it. And like, that's also not to say it doesn't have some dark stuff because oh, right, right. Coral having Voldemort on the back of his head, traumatizing. Oh, for sure. Three-headed dog. Scary though. Scary Devil's, Devil's Snare. I didn't go in vines for <laughs> months because I was scared when I first saw that movie. John Cleese just 
tearing open have his ghost head hanging there. Not a pretty sight. But not at all. Um, and then one last thing I will actually yeah. say, and you brought up that idea of magic and how well the movie works. I think it's so interesting that this and Fellowship of the Ring came out within a month of one another. And both of them had massive guns to their head. They had to do so well or they would sink their entire franchises to come. And it is such a testament that everything in both those movies is so tight and so streamlined. They had to be excellent and they were. And I I mean this as a compliment to Columbus. I think it is a good thing he only did the first two. I don't think he would have been burned out. And I just, just his, his aesthetic and his, the movies we've seen him do don't lend to the darkness and just the themes, I think, as we go on. And I think it's all the directors we really get going forward were appropriate for their respective films. Yeah, he's very good at handling that childlike subject matter, but he sort of falters a little bit when you get into more adult theming, you know, ideas of class, uh, crisis, uh, the 80s musicals oh we're talking about rent <laughs> the the final film on our list and i can yeah tell, we call I this we call this segment four fantastic films this is really three fantastic films and one excuse for us to talk about a musical because this is not a fantastic film in the slightest i would even say it's a bad film no I'll, it's a very bad film that i don't like and it's based off of source material i also don't like which, which is fine. sucks rent sucks <laughs> but let, let's talk about it nonetheless the people need to know why we can't just say it sucks without you know a whole dissertation on why why it's bad so well, they I know... have a whole dissertation but then we'd be here for four hours that's fair yeah i watched it for the first time in a long time today because no I'm i so did not it either and it did not improve my mood today uh, it may have worsened my mood. <laughs> Why do you start your movie with Seasons of Love when the entire point of that song is that it's supposed to be at Angel's funeral and then a flashback for the first half of Act 2? Makes no sense. It makes no sense. You put it there because it's the song that everyone knows from Rent, but you're missing the entire point. That's the freaking problem with this movie. Even like the things that I do like about Rent, which... There are very few things I actually like about the musical Rent. (laughs) I I can probably count it on one hand. Um, But one of the things I do like about Rent is the the thematic way that it uses its music. Bye, bye. That's gone. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, the the orchestrations of this are kind of nice. I'll give it that. Uh, Everybody is too old, though. Every single actor in this, except Rosario Dawson and Tracy Toms, to be honest, the only two people who look like they're having fun, and also the only two people who aren't in the original cast, they're the only two who want to be here right now. Everyone else is bored and in their 30s, and it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, that's something I noticed. It felt like Dear Evan Hansen Syndrome. Honestly, there were maybe three songs I liked, and I get with you, the placing of Seasons of Love totally threw me off uh i liked uh, what take me or leave me i like that performance but that's just a good song that's just fun it was just a fun yeah but like speaking of timing 
for a movie that jumps around a lot, I had no semblance until they said, oh, it's this holiday that we had like moved forward months in time. Like, yeah, well, it, that's like a problem with Rent in general. It's just like Act 1 takes place on one night and then Act 2 is the entire year that follows. Right. right. So this movie sucks. <laughs> Bad. So again, we we are retitling the segment for this episode as Three Fantastic Films and a Musical, which might be going forward what we do if any director has a musical. Wouldn't uh, be opposed to it, would not be opposed. <laughs> and it just so happens that musical is great, even better. And to be fair, I don't know if there was any other movies we really wanted to talk about. I didn't. I mean, talk- we could have talked about Pixels, Dan, but or the Christmas Chronicles two, or uh, Bicentennial yeah. Man. Ooh, uh, Stepmom. Ah, uh, I love you, Beth Cooper. So now we're just naming Chris Columbus films. You know, we could <laughs> probably saying- talk about them for a while, but it's probably time to get into our cast. Right. Yes. No, I agree with you. Here, each of us will cast the four main members of the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm, and their nemesis, Dr. Doom, with an actor or actress Chris Columbus has worked with previously and who has not had a major role in the MCU. Since we don't have a guest this week, Jack, I'm going to turn it over to you with your cast. Uh, Fans of an HBO show are going to go nuts for this cast. I'm just telling (laughs) you right now. Yeah, all the White Lotus fans, uh, all the Euphoria fans are about to go nuts for this one. Nice. Uh, so as my Reed Richards, there were honestly a couple choices that I could have gone with this one. Uh, there were a lot of directions that I could have taken it. Uh, but ultimately, I wanted to pick someone who was interested in superheroes from a very young age. So I chose Alan Ruck as my Reed Richards. <laughs> This is going to be very inside baseball if people have not watched Succession. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't, uh, watch it. Pause this and watch all 29 episodes and then come back. Uh, <laughs> my pitch also doesn't have anything to do with Succession. I just really love this show. Alan so, Ruck's a good actor. And Alan Ruck is fantastic. Come on. <laughs> uh so as my sue storm uh this is the only person who my cast who's not had a role in succession this is a person who has had a role in chris columbus's first directorial film adventures of babysitting and an actress that i just love elizabeth shue she's great the only reason i knew she was in this was from her cameo in hamlet 2 where uh steve coogan's character is re- trying to recruit elizabeth shue who has now become a nurse to come like talk to his uh drama class and he's mm-hmm. like oh she was in a uh, karate kid and adventures in babysitting only reason i knew she was in this movie mm-hmm. and, if you and she's also in too, the boys oh yeah she is in the boys now as my johnny storm like i said a lot of succession <laughs> people in this cast but i would have picked this person as my johnny storm even if i wasn't doing this bit uh kieran culkin like Come on. He just has to play himself again, and he'd do perfect. Yeah, I am very excited to see how he fits in this pitch. He is he's a great actor. He is awesome in succession, and I do see him as being a little more on the douchey side as far as like Johnny Storm goes. Like Johnny Storm can be arrogant and flighty, but not so much as big of a jerk. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to see him potentially as a jerk in your pitch. Yeah, uh, he doesn't <laughs> factor into it a ton, to be honest. Okay. But the person who does factor into it a lot is Ben Grimm. Awesome. Uh, who I initially had someone else because I thought I'd run out of succession people. 
But then Dan texted me, hey, Stephen Root was in an episode of Succession. So Stephen Root, Milton from <laughs> Office Space, is my Ben Grimm. Well, that's, a, that's, my, that's my stapler. That's, that's my, my stapler there. Stephen Root's awesome. Stephen oh, Root is yeah. such a good character actor. And I feel like this would be an excellent role for him. I also feel like he's been the same age since I can remember him being in movies. Absolutely. For better or worse, he looked like an upper middle aged man all my yeah. life. And he's in his <laughs> 70s right now. Right, so good for him. <laughs> uh, and then finally, it's my Victor Von Doom. Picked somebody who was in Chris Columbus film Pixels. The classic. As the general, this person has also played Logan Roy on Succession. So my Victor Von Doom. Mr. Brian Cox. Wonderful choice. I I mean, with this bit, there could be no one else who could. Exactly. Exactly. I almost was going to make him uh, my Ben Grimm just because I didn't have (laughs) another uh, succession person. I wanted them like to all be in the same family again. But I I think I think you'll like what I'm going to do with. I know know Jeremy Strong isn't been in a Columbus movie, but now I'm just envisioning him as like Doom's son, like just waiting to take over the Doctor Doom title. And I'm imagining him as Snape in Harry Potter now. (laughs) Uh, uh, Look, guys, uh, we're not going to we're not going to do any fucking uh, wand waving in this class. You know, uh, this this is potions. Uh, You're going to be able to bottle fame and brew glory. Uh, Yeah. Uh, it's like he's in the room people (laughs) 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 well uh jack i actually mixed up my cast a little bit i have some of the same when we were talking prior but these first couple are from my original uh list that i had sent you just to make sure compare lists make sure we weren't doing too many duplicates um for mine I'm going with someone we've talked about pretty extensively already on the show. Um, he was the boy who lived, and now he's going to be the hero who stretches. That's not playing a factor. That is, just came up with that now. But I'm going with the On Daniel, the spot. On the spot. The Daniel Radcliffe. I love him. I would be lying if I said I didn't have a crush on him at some point, at some point being now. Like, we've talked about it extensively. Like, he can do whatever the hell he wants. I hope he'd want to be Mr. Fantastic. He's a great actor and Fantastic Four is weird. And yeah. I want him to, if if he were going to be in a Marvel movie, I think being the Fantastic Four could be something appealing to him. I think he would be excellent as this role. I think it's great casting. For his wife, Sue Storm, uh, I went to someone who was in the movie that we did not list in our extensive list of Christopher Columbus movies for good reason. Uh, that is the Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, which I am way more excited about the Disney Plus show than I will be ever about this couple movies that came out prior. But that is Alexandra Daddario, also of White Lotus fame. I was going to say. <laughs> um, HBO show. Yes. And, and season one of True Detective. Yeah, I think she's very she's on the rise. I think she probably got a little typecast as just the attractive girl, but you've seen her in White Lotus and in stuff like True Detective, and she really is she a much better. It. She's very underrated, and I think uh, across from Daniel Radcliffe, I think they could have some really good chemistry together, and would be fun to see them as Reed and Sue. Yeah, I agree. 
I'm going to go for Johnny Storm as her scene partner in the Percy Jackson films. Uh, for Johnny Storm, I'm going with Percy Jackson, Logan Lerman. Big lovers <laughs> to siblings energy. Right. Uh, <laughs> hold on, I'm trying to remember. Is it Shailene Woodley and Ansel Elgort are yeah. siblings in Diversion as well? Yep. What, what can I say? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just think he, similar boat kind of, he he was part of all these kind of teen teen movies and dramas and really didn't get recognized for his acting chops and the last few projects he's been a part of have kind of erased any of that i'd say teen stigma Mm -hmm. and yeah again just another quality actor that i would love to see that being said his performance and perks of being a wallflower yeah brilliant oh for sure absolutely wonderful 100%. And hopefully we can take some of that, some of his his more later roles and how he's evolved as an actor and kind of all combine it into uh, Johnny Storm. For my Ben Grimm, The Thing, this is one where I took a big change. Originally, I told you uh, Neville Longbottom, Matthew Lewis, and then like, ah, nah, uh, not quite what I'm going for. So then I actually switched it to Peter Dinklage, who was in Pixels. Then I scratched that and went with the lead of the classic movie Pixels, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Adam Sandler will be my Ben Grimm, the thing. Is he going to uh, be Pixels, Adam Sandler, or Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler? That's the real question. Oh, man. Um, Eight Crazy Nights, Adam Sandler. Even better. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think honestly, if Marvel told me tomorrow that Adam Sandler was cast as Ben Grimm, I don't think I'd hate it, especially when we've gotten the projects he's been in lately. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, Hustle, yeah. Uncut Gems, uh, Meyerowitz Stories, stuff like that. And you look at something like Punch Drunk Love. This is an actor who is coming into his own as far as drama goes and just has that inner rage that is in indicative of Ben Grimm as well. So yeah, Adam Sandler is my Ben Grimm. Finally, for my Doctor Doom, uh, I had also made some a few changes. I had gone with Lucius Malfoy, Jason Isaacs. Uh, Which initially. I want to see, by the way, still. Oh, I think that he would be a great choice as an actual Doctor Doom, like in the MCU. But for this specific movie that I am pitching I went with someone we'd also talked about pretty extensively earlier in the episode, and that is Home Alone's Macaulay Culkin as Dr. Doom. No hints, but maybe hints to where this pitch is going. We'll see. Um, But yeah, so that is my cast for a Chris Columbus Fantastic Four film. Well, with our film's cast, it is time to pitch our Chris Columbus Helm Fantastic Four films. Before we can get into those pitches, though, I do have two questions. First, is your film an origin film? Nope. Mine is not as well. Secondly, is it part of the MCU? No. I think mine could be. It's indifferent if it is or isn't. But I will say, there is nothing that happens in this movie that would probably tie into any other films. Gotcha. With that said, Jack... I'm going to turn it over to you with your Chris Columbus pitch. Here we go. This is the Fantastic Four's Fantastic Festive Feats. It's Christmas time for Marvel's first family, and no one is more excited than Reed Richards, not only because Christmas meant so much to him as a child, but because it's the first Christmas that he's going to be celebrating with his super family, his wife Sue, 
her brother Johnny, and his best friend Ben Grimm are all getting into the holiday season in their own ways. Sue has been doing humanitarian work at local shelters for kids. Johnny has been invited to nearly every Hanukkah party and asked to light the menorahs. The only one who hasn't seemed to get into the spirit yet is Ben. He's still adjusting to his new look and how that's going to affect his holiday season. Despite being raised Jewish, Ben's favorite holiday tradition was being the neighborhood Santa in his hometown's holiday bazaar. And the next day is when it begins. As Reed, Sue, and Johnny are holding the grandest, most extravagant holiday party the city's ever seen, Ben only wishes for one thing. To not have powers anymore. To just be normal. As he goes to bed, a shooting star streaks across the sky. Ben wakes up the next day, December 24th, and much to his surprise, he looks normal again. It's a miracle. He races out the door, gets on a train, and heads back to his hometown, excited to resume his position as Santa. Reed, Sue, and Johnny all wake up a bit later, see that Ben's door is open and that he's missing. Reed stretches out his arm to grab a coat so that he can go out and look for him, but discovers he doesn't have his powers anymore. When Sue and Johnny try to use theirs as well, it's the same thing. They've lost their powers, all of them. Ben arrives back in his hometown, a small little suburb just outside New York City. Everyone there is so excited to see him. He's never been so overwhelmed by love before. It's just like the times of old. But when he asks where the Santa costume is, silence falls. The mayor looks at him and says, We didn't think you'd be back this year, Ben. We got a new Santa. Ben looks around and sees someone dressed in the Santa suit that he used to wear. This is Victor, the mayor says. He's going to be Santa at this year's bazaar. But there's, of course, always room for you, Ben. Ben shakes Victor's hand, then sadly goes to a different booth. One that gives him a clear sightline to Victor, who has come out to the Santa chair to excited screams from kids. Back in New York, Reed, Sue, and Johnny are desperately trying to figure out both what's happened to their powers and where Ben is. He's got the most visual power, so when they see him, they'll know whether this is just a fluke or if something bigger is at play. Reed deduces that Ben must have gone back to his hometown, maybe to get the Christmas spirit back, but realizes as they walk out of the door that they don't have an easy way to get to Ben's hometown. Their driver got the holiday off starting that day. None of them want to drive through the city, and Sue can't use a force field to fly them there. They have to take the subway, which Reed says he hasn't taken in years and Sue and Johnny aren't familiar with. Back in Ben's hometown, the bazaar is a lovely affair for everyone except Ben again. He keeps wistfully looking over at Victor, who is, of course, the biggest hit with the kids, and not one of them has cried. How is that possible? When he was Santa, there would be at least five kids who would cry, but they're all just perfect for Victor. Eventually, Victor goes to take a break, and Ben follows him, careful not to be seen. There, he sees Victor take off the suit, which underneath is incredibly high-tech. He lets the suit recharge as he sits down, taking a load off. Every fiber of Ben wants to barge in there and tell him off, but... Not quite yet. Back in New York City, there's a whole B-plot with Reed, Sue, and Johnny being wildly confused. I mean, first they took the A, but they took it in the wrong direction. So they got off there and waited for the next train, but the next train was a one, which took them uptown, but on the opposite side of where they wanted to be. People, of course, recognized them, wanted to get high fives, but they weren't able to follow the direction of where to go. Despite every person they asked for directions giving it to them, they're lost. When Victor comes back out, ready to go for more time as Santa, Ben confronts him. Victor gives him a small, evil smile and tells him that the way he does it is Christmas magic. Ben gets angrier and angrier, but Victor reminds him of the surroundings. How would it look, not just to kids, but to families, if Ben Grimm, Fantastic Four member, started screaming at Santa Claus? 
Ben slinks back into his booth as the kids go back to Victor's Santa. Just as he's ready to give up on the holiday forever, Reed, Sue, and Johnny show up. When he asks what they're doing here, Reed explains that it took them five hours to get there, but somehow they did. Ben tells him there's a shady new Santa that's got something weird going on with the suit. Reed, Sue, and Johnny decide to go and confront him, and the four of them have a big showdown that results in Reed and Johnny exposing Victor's suit, causing Victor to angrily exclaim at the two of them to fuck off. And that's what finally makes the children cry. He leaves in disgrace, and Sue comes over and gives the costume to Ben. But he smiles and says he doesn't need it, throwing it away. This was something I did for my hometown, he says. But I have a new home now. Still, they decide to stay, posing with kids as the Fantastic Four, participating in a tree lighting ceremony, and just getting the Christmas spirit back into their lives. Bellies and hearts full, they head back to New York City. Ben falls asleep peacefully, and another shooting star flies across the sky. When the four wake up on Christmas morning, they find, much to their surprise, they have their powers back. The four have a wonderful Christmas together, but down on the streets of New York, two Santas bump into each other. Hey, watch your step, one yells at the other. The other Santa turns back and pulls down his beard. It's Victor. He gives the Santa a fleeting look, then turns back. He's got business to do. And that's it. Awesome pitch. Very Christmassy, very Columbusy. Again, not to be confused with the other Chris Columbus, but no, I, I thought it was great. I was a little nervous hearing the title of yours that uh, you were going a very similar route to mine. You didn't, you didn't, and you will see soon, but no, very heartfelt. Um, I'm glad you got that patented Brian Cox fuck off in there. Of course, you uh, have wouldn't to. Have felt, wouldn't have felt right otherwise. But no, that was, that was a lot of fun. I liked the whole wish concept and that it affected all of them. Top notch. I also wrote that uh, in an hour. Which infuriates me. Literally, for, for context listeners, uh, an hour before we started recording, we were trying to figure out when to do this episode. You know, I'm in finals mode. Dan's traveling soon. Right. And she's like, yeah, I can whip up a pitch. Which I'm very appreciative of and also seething with rage <laughs> which is our dynamic but yeah, right, i'm very excited right. to hear your pitch Dan, so. okay so i'd been calling this a film before but this movie this this project is more indicative of like the one hour holiday specials that we've been getting on disney plus whether it be like werewolf by night kind of around halloween or this recent guardians of the galaxy holiday special or if you're a star wars fan the star wars holiday special that <laughs> sorry just to interject real quick i watched that for the first time last night that's it that's it i, I watched it this movie uh, i want to kind of set the stage that you're entering the 1960s, early 70s kind of Christmas special vibes. So here we go. We open on this kind of high-tech, futuristic winter cottage, and we kind of go through the front door. The camera's weaving through the inside. We're getting a little tour, and we stop in front of the fire, and it's crackling, setting the mood and whatnot. And then we see this head kind of stretch in, and it's Daniel Radcliffe's Reed Richards. He's like... Oh, hello there. Didn't see you. Well, this is normally Deadpool's thing. I thought, you know, we could give it a try in honor of the holidays. Follow me. And his body catches up with his head and he starts moseying over to a piano that's next to the fire. Uh, drink in hand, he takes a sip, sets it down on top of the piano. He starts stretching his hand all over the keys and playing. Uh, he's like, I actually can't play the piano. This is all automated. But, you know, 
gotta hold up appearances. Anyway, tonight is very special. The holidays are a time of togetherness, and in that spirit, we will be meeting members of our fantastic family who will all be sharing stories, singing songs, and enjoying each other's company. For the first story, you know, I'm gonna start, and this is a story that really matters to me. It was a lesson I had to learn, but to get us in the mood, I've brought in some special guests to sing us a song to get us in the spirit. Suddenly, a portal opens and out walks Adina Menzel and Jesse L. Martin as themselves. But then Reed says, uh, we actually couldn't get the Adina Menzel of this universe, so I had to call in some favors. And tonight, I'm proud to introduce to you Jesse L. Martin and Adele Dazim from uh, a different multiverse Earth. They will be singing, I'll be home for Christmas. And then as they finish, the uh, screen changes and we see a title card that says, Reed will be home for Christmas. So this movie this project is a bunch of different vignettes of the fantastic four and some holiday stories that are important to them with reed will be home for christmas we start instantly in the baxter building reed is working on some big machine and his kids franklin and valeria walking daddy 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 it's christmas eve it's christmas eve like we have to wait for santa like aren't you gonna come he's like i I have to work on this this is very important i'll be there i'll be there before you go to bed i promise we'll we'll get the cookies under the chimney it'll be it'll be fine daddy come on it's christmas eve i i promise i'll be there as this goes i mean as you can kind of predict reed loses track of time and the kids go to bed before reed could see him sue comes in chastises him and said this is very important reed like you need to be there for your kids. You're right, you're right. I'll, I'll make it up to them in the morning. Let, let's go to bed. So they go to bed, and as they fall asleep, Reed has this dream. He hears this clanging on the roof of the Baxter building, and he goes up, and it's Santa Claus. Apparently Santa Claus is real, or at least in Reed's dreams. And he's like, oh, Reed, how are you today? It's like, um, fine, 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 Santa. Uh, what, what are you doing here? Like we got all the the gifts already for for the kids. Uh, you don't need you don't 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 you have stuff to do. It's like no, everyone deserves a nice Christmas. Everyone deserves a visit from Santa. That's that's, that's fine. Come on in, Santa. And really, like I said, I'm not going to go into too much detail. I have more stories to get through. But essentially, Santa and Reed have a nice conversation of that. And Santa's like, I only work one night a year. I get to spend the rest of the time with my family. But if you work every night, including Christmas, you're going to miss out on the things that are important to your family. And Reed has a wake-up call. The next morning, he gets all the Christmas set, stuff set out. He has this amazing feast prepared. For, uh, the kid's like, but are you, are you working today? He's like, nope, I, you have me all day and for the rest of the week. And you see flashes of what they do over the winter holiday, sledding, snowboarding, building snowmen. So you get this nice lesson about relearning the importance of taking a break and being with his family over the holidays. I can be, you know, a little difficult sometimes, and he pretends to play the piano more with his fingers kind of stretching around. But fortunately, I have this one here to keep my head on straight. And you turn over and you see Alexandra Daddario as Sue Storm, dressed up again in like this 1960s classical kind of cocktail dress with a Santa hat on. He's like, honey, do you want a drink? And Reed's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, well, get it yourself. And there's a laugh track that goes like, ha, 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 like, and they all like fake laugh, ham it up. And she comes over. It's like, well, Sue, while you're here, do you have a, a story you'd like to share for everyone? She's like, of course. And the title changes and it goes to 
Sue's White Christmas Snow Globe. I'm not going to go into a lot of depth here. Again, we have a lot to cover, but with this one, essentially this is set early in the Fantastic Four's tenure. They'd just gotten their powers. Reed and Sue are still kind of dating on and off. They, they're not married yet, no kids, and Reed is showing Sue this snow globe that was important to, to his parents. It was the last thing he had of theirs, and it's really important to them. It's the only thing that really connects him to both them and the holiday. The next day, there's this big fight. They're fighting some sort of winter-themed early comic book, goofy-style, like, snowman monster. Due to, like, the earthquake it causes, the snow globe topples over and breaks. And Reed is just distraught. Ru Sue doesn't know what to do, how to fix things. And then she gets an idea. She goes, she picks up, like, the rotary telephone. And it's like, Tony, Tony, this is Su Sue Storm uh, at the Baxter building. And you don't hear what he says, but she says something like, I'm seeing Reed, Tony. I don't need this. Like, assuming that Tony is flirting with Sue Storm. Tony Stark, I need your help. And we see Tony come over. It's like, what, what can I do to help? Like, in his big old clunky Iron Man outfit. She kind of, you can see him, like, silently, like, mouthing, pointing at the snow globe. The scene cuts over, and she's like, Reed, I want, I want to show you something. It's night. It's snowing out. It's beautiful. We just see this base, no light. And then Tony kind of flashes down and says, hit it and the lights flash on this. Sue creates a force field to create the snow globe, and Reed has his own full-size, real-life snow globe. And that was the thing that solidified knowing that they were going to be together forever. And, like, they return back to the cottage. They kiss. like, sweet story, isn't it? And, you know, just ham it up some more. And then you hear a crash through the ceiling. Don't forget about me! And it's Johnny Storm. It's like, that, that's... Johnny, did you have to come through the ceiling? Oh, that'll fix itself. And you look up, it's already starting to like nanobots or whatever are starting to fix the roof. And it's like, no, it's like Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. It's like, what? Me? Again, really hamming it up here. It's like, okay, fine. You know, if you're going to be here, might as well share a story about the holidays that's important to you. Now the title changes and we're at a stormy Christmas Eve. Here we see Johnny out and about walking around, enjoying the winter holidays in New York City. And he walks past this diner and he's like, oh, I could use a bite. And he walks in, sits down, and he orders a hot chocolate. And he starts drinking it. And he sees this waitress, really like tired and exasperated, been a long day. And she's like, <sighs> looking around, there's no seats, like her shift is done. And Johnny's like, here, you, you can join me if you want. I mean, no, no worries. She's like, Thank you, thank you, I will. And she goes, she gets back behind uh, the counter and gets this big bag of presents. She's like, I have to get these home. I don't have a lot of time, but I just needed a break before I, I went to the church. These are presents that are, are for some of the uh, the orphan kids that we, we tend to over the holidays. And if you are familiar, again, with the MCU, so kind of a tie-in, the waitress is played by Ashley Johnson, who was the waitress in the first Avengers movie. The two get to talking, and like you can see there's a little bit of a meet cute here, you know, and then the waitress realizes, like, oh, I gotta get going. But as soon as she says that, another monster's outside, and they have to, you know, Johnny goes to try and fight it off, and she's like, go, oh, get to safety, get to safety. She runs off, gets away. Johnny fights off the winter-themed monster again, and the day is saved, but he looks. 
she forgot her presence and he doesn't know where she's going much less her name so the rest of the story is him going around trying to find this waitress any uh and what church she's at like there's many hundreds of churches in the city you know and eventually he hears oh holy night playing from one of them weirdly loud you know for being outside new york city but like the sound picks it up and he ha- he's, has to do this all running around no powers because if you know he's holding a bag of presents and he's lit on fire that's just going to erupt all the presents so like he's doing this no powers and for a character who's typically kind of a jerk and and selfish and very you know all about johnny storm we get a nice story about how he does something nice he's thinking about other people not just himself at this moment and uh we get a nice rendition of oh holy night playing you just hear in the background are you are you crying and johnny's like no and we turn and we see ben Grimm in the doorway he's like sorry i'm late uh had to drop alicia off at her family's he's like oh ben ben so happy you could be here uh reed says it's like i mean I know you don't celebrate Christmas, but I wanted to see if you had any maybe stories about Hanukkah that you could share. I, I don't have any stories, but you know what? I'll sing you a song. And Ben picks up a reinforced guitar that so like the strings don't break when he strums them. Okay, let's uh let's get to this with Adam Sandler being Ben Grimm. We get the Marvel version of the Hanukkah song. And it goes something like. <clears throat> Put on your yamaka. Here comes Hanukkah. So much funukkah to celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. When you feel like the only kid in town without a Christmas tree, here's a list of Marvel friends who are Jewish. Just wait and see. Ben Grimm, that's me. Lights the menorah, how sweeto. So does Kitty Pride and the family of Magneto. You don't need deck the halls or the jingle bell rock, cause you can spin the dreidel with Moon Knight and Modoc. Put on your yamaka. Here comes Hanukkah. Songbird is supersonica and also celebrates Hanukkah. Some people think Bruce Banner could be. Well, he's not, but guess who is? Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Tell the Hulk Buster Veronica, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah. I hope it gets a harmonica of oh, this lovely, lovely Hanukkah. So drink your gin and tonica and smoke your marijuana. If you're of legal age and wanaka, have a fantastic, tastic, tastic, tastic Hanukkah. And as soon as he finishes, he's like, oh, nice song, Ben. (laughs) And again, just barging in is Dr. Doom, because of course, everyone needs to be here on the holiday special for the Fantastic Four. And Reed's like, Doom, what are you doing here? I can celebrate Christmas too, Reed. Like over like this electronic kind of medley sounds coming from it. While it is played by Macaulay Culkin, we never actually see him take off the mask. It's just Doom in the mask the whole time. I have a story too, and my story is superior to all of yours. 
essentially Dr. Doom just starts ripping off the Home Alone movie, like how he and Latveria killed a bunch of like crooks who were trying to break into his home rather than just like booby trap and like, you know, masochistic and just injure them severely. He straight up just murders them. And he's like, no, no, we're not finishing this story, Doom. And he's like, fine, if Ben gets to sing a song, I'll sing one too. And he starts, <clears throat> I'll have a doom Christmas without you. I'll be so doom thinking about you. See the blood running red with my enemies dead. And they too will have a doom, 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 doom Christmas. Read just sighs. <sighs> Whatever you say, Doom. You're like, you know, everyone got to tell their stories, sing some songs, and that's what Christmas is all about, beyond the murder. And everyone starts gathering around. They sing a lovely rendition of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and that is where the Fantastic Four holiday special concludes. I had the biggest grit on my face <laughs> just listening to that. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, that was, that was fun. The So my I told you, when before we go that this started in one place and ended in a very very different place because yeah i can tell that like one of those segments was your initial idea and then you were like what if i had like this this isn't this well actually it was the doom alone one that was was it really but it was more it was more that like the reed richards kids were in the Baxter building, like the Fantastic Four got pulled away on some heroic mission on Christmas Eve, and it was all a ruse for some criminals to get into the Baxter building, and the children had to fend them off with all these high-tech gadgets and stuff. And like, okay, I've done a lot of rip-offs of other movies over the last. I wanted to try do do something a little more fun and original and in the holiday spirit. It did and give for- holiday special, but in the best way. <laughs> right. And, you know, we're talking Chris Columbus. I wanted a little bit of holiday magic. I wanted a little bit of humor and songs. I mean, granted, we didn't like Rent, but he still directed music. So I wanted a little bit of all of that in there. And I was also just wanting to do the Adele Dazeem joke as old, of as, course. <laughs> of course. as old as that is. Um, it's never been old, Dan, and it never will be old. <laughs> it, it, unless it goes to a beach. <laughs> No, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. And I, I love like the whole time I was putting together, I was getting vibes of like the Bing Crosby, David Bowie singing like Little Drummer Boy, Peace on Earth. Like that is the vibe I wanted for this. And yeah, so and again, it's this is a holiday Christmas episode. And I felt it was important that this pitch was that. But, you know, with that said, with our cast's casted <laughs> and our our pitch is pitched i think it is time we end our episode we hope you the listeners enjoyed our exploration into this fun festive what if scenario we want to make a special note that the fancast it for podcast is hosted for free on anchor we encourage you if you have your own podcast idea to check out anchor it is a great resource for getting your idea off the ground you can find us on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify and youtube If you're listening on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate you hitting the subscribe button and commenting with who your Chris Columbus cast would be on what you thought of our lists and pitches and on which director you'd like to see next. I also want to thank Matt Hart and Maddie Gunner for the fantastic theme music they created for us. And finally, during this holiday season, Jack and I wish you all a wonderful time. We hope that you are able to spend time with your loved ones, whether it's friends, family, or the friends who are your family, and take some time to reflect on all 
that has happened this previous year. While things don't always go our way, and you know, sometimes they do, which is wonderful. I hope you all know that there are people out there who care about you. And that certainly goes for us here at the Fancast of Four podcast. I just want to say real quick, like, you know, we're nearing the end of the year. Things starting to wind down and you're starting to get to like the part of the year where you're starting to look back on the things that you're grateful for. Uh, and this podcast is absolutely one of those things. I have had the most wonderful time being brought on to be the co-host of this. Uh, it's been a very lovely experience. So thank you for bringing me into this crazy world, Dan. Yeah. And no, it wouldn't be what it is now without you, Jack. So certainly the feelings are mutual. I look forward to seeing what 2023 brings for us and the podcast. But Me know, too, especially because 2023 may bring us an actual fantastic forecast. No kidding, which we might have to change things up. We might have to be casting someone different. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you know, with that said, that is our show. I am Dan Bettenhausen. I am Jack Mayer, and we hope you all stay fantastic.